Amen. I feel like uh, I need to, to be like uh, the old cartoon character this morning, Speedy Gonzalez. Do you ever remember him? All right. We're going to just read one scripture this morning in the book of Luke, chapter number 9, verse number 51. And it simply reads like this. It says, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, does, does anybody know what that means? When it came to pass, when the time was that he should be received up, I was talking about his ascension. Yes. I was talking about the future, okay? And uh, that's uh, where we want to start from this morning. And uh, you may be seated. With that, I would like to speak to you on the road to victory. Amen. The road to victory. There's... uh, one, you can read that, that verse from, of course, different translations, but what that means was that, that he knew, he knew what was, you know, not like some of us, okay? How many of you know what tomorrow's going to bring? How many of you know what next week's going to bring? You hope you know, at least you plan for it. But here it is that Jesus knew Right? He knew what was going to take place. And it says that when the days were approaching for His ascension, He was already looking to the future and He was determined to go to Jerusalem. One writer makes this point. He writes this. He says, Luke, in Luke's writing here, Luke the physician, he uses this, and this is really a turning point in everything that the all four gospel writers turn their attention toward. He says, from this point on, every story Jesus told, every miracle that he performed in every conversation he engaged in would have the cross pulsating in the back of his mind. But now Luke doesn't say the days approaching for the cross because Jesus knew the cross was simply the price that had to be paid in order for that great day to arrive. And he wasn't just speaking about his ascension, folks. Understand? He was looking forward because he knew that that road to Jerusalem ultimately was going to be the road to victory, not just for him being the first fruits and him resurrecting on that third day, but I'm here to remind all of you here this morning There's a day coming. There's a day coming for the church. There is a day coming that we refer to as the catching away of the bride or the rapture of the church. Jesus was looking forward not 
Oh, not just because it was something that he was going to be glorified in, but he was looking forward because he knew he was making the pathway. In fact, he was paving the road so that you and I, one day we could come out of that grave just like he did on that third day. That is our hope. That is our hope. Amen. You see, the ultimate plan of redemption had always been in the mind of God, even from the beginning. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know what was paid to set you free from the worthless manner of life handed down by our ancestors. Look to your mom and dad and your granddaddy and grandma and say thanks a lot, right? But Peter writes, he says, For you know what was paid to set you free. It was not something that could be destroyed, such as silver or gold. And I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. But it was the costly sacrifice of Christ who was like a lamb without defect or flaw. Aren't you glad that the one that came was perfect? You, you and I, no longer can we use the excuse that we don't have a perfect model to set our sights on. He was the perfect second Adam. He was the perfect Son of God. But Peter writes, he says, He was without flaw, and He had been chosen by God before the creation of the world and was revealed in the last days for your sake. John the Revelator, he speaks the same words. He says that Jesus Christ was that Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, this plan of redemption, this plan that one day Jesus would meet death, and He would de defeat death uh, on His own. He said, we've already, we've already had enough of the Easter story here told today. What a great skit that was. Yeah. And the songs and everything else. We already know the story, don't we? We might as well just have a, we might as well just get out in the middle of the aisles and start doing our resurrection uh, dance because it has already came to pass. But I love it when these writers are telling us, in the mind of God, this plan of redemption, this lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, God had already made His mind up that He, as Sister Beth said, that He incarnate, He was going to robe Himself as one of us, and He was going to pay a visit to planet earth, and He was going to defeat the adversary, the enemy of your soul, on this planet earth, and He was going to nail it to the cross, and He was going to allow them to take His life, and He was going to visit that place called death. And He was going to rip the keys out of the... He's going to, he was going to take those keys from the devil that held you and I to that place called death. 
And he was going to secure it. And he was going to prove it. He says, you ain't going to destroy this body. He says, you can't. He says, you ain't going to take my life. He says, I willingly lay it down. No man takes my life. He says, destroy three days, I'll pick it up again. And Peter, again, he, he tries to explain. So you've got this redemption story. And Peter tries to explain the magnitude. Think about this. This had been in the works for how many years? The plan of redemption. A hundred? The foundation of the world? A couple of years. Couple generations, few thousand years, and Peter tries to explain. Imagine everything is leading up to this one individual life that only lived for thirty-three, a little over thirty-three years. And Peter says that this salvation that they were witnessing, that you and I have. A, a opportunity to become a part of this morning. He says, I want you to know that this salvation, those prophets of old, they searched diligently. They inquired of it. And even the angels desired to look into this thing to see what was going to happen. Matthew also writes in the 13th chapter, he says, I want you to know that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see. They have never seen them, and they desire to hear the things which you hear and have not heard them. How do you condense this plan which is bringing fallen humanity back to a perfect relationship with God into 33 years of life? How do you convince men that you love them so much? Galatians 4.4 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Listen carefully. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Do you understand what, that, what the author is saying? He says, listen, you need to understand the reason why, the purpose why that Jesus came was that He became that second Adam. You and I have a natural father today. At least some of us still have one living. Your natural father was a partaker of the very thing that was handed down to Him by His ancestors. We're all born into this thing called sin. But Jesus said, when I get through with this plan, He says, I am going to be able to claim them. I am going to be able to adopt them right into my family. How many of you love your family? How many of you say, well, I'd prefer to... I wouldn't mind being adopted into a different family. You have that opportunity today. The Amplified Version says that God's children 
talking about these adopted sons, they had all of the rights as fully grown members of family. And so, within the context of this plan, God's great plan that had been in the works for a long time, let's put it that way, the four Gospels, they are written and recorded by either eyewitnesses of this miraculous life or they had access to the eyewitness account as reported by the twelve apostles. Thousands of years of this planning unfolding in a span of 33 years. But not really 33 years because we are very limited to the knowledge as to the birth of Jesus. We hear very little. We know the importance of it. We know what took place. And we read of the scene of the announcement. And then we find Him being dedicated in the temple. And then we read about Him at 12 years old when He runs away from home. And then we hear nothing for 18 years. So really, the Bible message, it is bringing to us in the Gospels, it is bringing to us, listen carefully, Matthew dedicates the first two chapters toward the first 30 years of the life of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He then spends 18 chapters toward His three-year ministry. And the final five chapters, and then the final four, 24 hours, He dedicates it. That, or I'm sorry, the, the final week, He dedicates five chapters to. It's the road to Jerusalem. It's the pathway to victory. Because those writers knew that the, the, the miraculous that Jesus did, all of the signs and the wonders and the healings, that, that was for the, those people that day and for you and I to understand that He had all power. All power was given to Him. Paul wrote and he said the fullness of the Godhead it is inside of that body. Everything that God is, you see it in Christ. Yes, amen. Whoa. Mark does not even spend a chapter on his birth. But instead immediately writes the beginning of the Gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark writes seven chapters on the first three years of his ministry. 30 to 33. He writes three on the next six months. And then he dedicates six chapters to the final days. 40%. The final days. Because it was that last week that ultimately was going to set the stage. It was that last week that the business at hand was going to be fulfilled. It was the last days that Jesus said, I am determined. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to pay the price because I know at the end there is an empty tomb for people to believe in. And there is a gospel that will set people free from their sins and free from every bondage and addiction. John dedicates 11 chapters to those three years of ministry. And then 
for the final three days of the life of Jesus, John commits eight chapters to. One commentary writes the following, He not only determined to make the journey, He resolutely tightened His lips, He set His jaw, He fixed His eyes on the cross, and ultimately the resurrection. Everything He did from that point, it was to meet death head on, and it was to nail your sins to a cross at Calvary, and it was to give you and I a hope, not just in this life, but in that hope that one day there There is a day coming that is going to allow you and me to be freed just like He was. And we will make it to that place called heaven. And there you will see Him as He is. Can you imagine? He could see the finish line. We can't get a hold of it. Here is the God-man standing six days before everything was going to transpire. He wouldn't ascend for 40 days after the resurrection, but here He was standing on this place called eternity because see, He lives in eternity. He doesn't, he's not limited to the natural laws like you and I. He, there is no time zone for Him. Yes. He lives in eternity. And there he was on the road. He, there's something that turned over in his life that day. And he knew that this was going to be the first step that was going to lead him to a place called Jerusalem. And there it was that he would be met. You need to understand that in Jerusalem, that place where they worshipped God, it wasn't filled with a few hundred people during Passover it was filled with approximately 2,500,000 people. And so, when he saw that day coming, you find that the next day, he begins his triumphant ride into Jerusalem. And they line the road, folks. They set the stage because they understood, at least in part, this was not an ordinary man. And they took a few trees down, Brother Jacob. And they threw those palm leaves. And they began to worship Him. And they began to sing hallelujah. And the Pharisees and the religious people said, you need to put a stop to these people. He says, you don't understand. He says, I've got to pay a price at Calvary, but this is going to be the beginning of that because he knew that those people needed to understand that there really was a Messiah. There really was a Savior. He was riding into town that day and they began to worship Him. He said, if they don't worship me, the stones will cry out. Yes. 
So he was looking at the finish line. Can you imagine in the mind of God this thing that had been fermenting for thousands and thousands of years? He was staring at the finish line. Nothing could deter him. Not even the hour. John writes 12, 27. Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this cause came I unto this hour. He came not. He said, I don't come to kill and destroy, but to seek and save that which was lost. Are you glad this morning that He came? Are you glad that He came and that He seen what was what was ahead of His future and He did not see it as a place of defeat? But when He looked at the cross, one writer says He endured. He endured the cross because why? For the joy that awaited Him on the other side. He didn't look at it in defeat. He looked at it and he said, I'm going to go there. He says, I'm going to defeat that enemy. I'm going to take the keys from him. And there is going to be a way of victory for everyone that believes. You and I, sometimes I think we could think of it more if we could grasp it with the urgency of a man that knew precisely when he was going to die. But his actions were not the actions of a man that knew he was going to die. His actions were like that of a man that could sense victory up the road. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. It wasn't, He wasn't looking at defeat. He was looking at victory for you. He was looking for victory for you. He was he was paving the road for you. He knew that man were was going to have to have something inside of them that was going to help them. He knew that we were going to have to have, if you would, a supernatural power. Come on. Amen. He even, Luke records in, in uh, chapter number 10, verses 17 through 21, Jesus said, listen to these words. He says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from the sky. He said, he is the enemy, but no that I have given you more power than He has. He said, I have given you power to crush Him under your feet. Nothing will hurt you. And He said, be happy not because you have this power. 
He says, but be happy because your names are written in heaven. Be happy because that He has made a way possible for you and I to be adopted into the family of God. That very next verse, verse number 22, listen to this. It says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. That's what He said. What do you mean? What? what? Well, there's more to it. I'm, I'm sure there is. But He says, He rejoiced because He knew all things had been delivered to Him. In other words, he was telling the future church, he was saying, listen, when I get done, he says, that enemy has bit you in the ankle and it has released his venom poison of sin throughout your body. He says, but when I get done, he says, I'm going to crush his head and he will have no more power, no more authority over you. How are you going to get it done, Lord? It's because I have the perfect plan and I'm the perfect person to carry out the perfect plan. Jesus rejoiced when He gave that little bit of information. He says, I want you to know, man. He says, I'm going to give you so much power. You don't think He had power? John says all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world. The world was made by Him. That God-man that was walking on planet earth, He was was the Creator. He wasn't limited. He wasn't limited by anything. He had it all. He had all power. In Hebrews two and ten, and I've got to, I've got to just kind of skim over these sayings. But the Bible talks about that it was fitting for him whom all, who in whom are all things. He was bringing many sons unto glory. But He made the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. Perfect means He is undefeated while living as one of us. The Amplified Bible says that through suffering, it means bringing to maturity the human experience necessary for Him to be perfectly equipped for His office as high priest. That's why the Bible... Listen... I need Him as my high priest. you know why? It's because there is no variableness in Him. I don't go to a man. I go to the One that paid the price at Calvary. He paid the human the price as our high priest. He had to experience the suffering of humanity in order to understand 
That's why the writer says we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's why that when you have a Peter experience and you fail God sometimes, or you, uh, you do something that you know that is not right in God's eyes, you have an advocate, you have a lawyer, you have a high priest, you have somebody that made the perfect sacrifice, you can go to Him with the full assurance that He will forgive you. Let us then approach. There are a couple of critical lessons Jesus left us as an example of what a champion, what a champion's life looks like. He is my champion. Oh, He is. See, the road to Jerusalem was one of humility. They turned Him down the first place He went. On His road to Jerusalem, He goes to a Samaritan town and they don't want anything to do with Him. And the sons of thunder said, Lord, just, just tell us, just give us the go. We'll call fire down from heaven to consume them. He says, what spirit are you of? You remember reading about that? Philippians says in second chapter, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loveliness, uh, lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Well, thank you for that skit this morning. Let others esteem others better than himself. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of Himself no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, humbled Himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. Humility will always be the road to victory. Humility will always be the road that will help you in solving issues. It's the pathway that leads to ultimate victory. Yes. There's so many things we just don't have the time, but the road this led, of course, we know to the Last Supper, Passover. And you know, I've taught on this and I, I just love it so very, very much that you've got to have a towel mentality. Amen. The sons of thunders once again were, you know, they were trying to be on their A game as they were going to the Passover. We're getting down to a few hours here now, you know. And they said, Lord, we just want to, we, we just want to one sit on the right hand, one on the left hand. We want to know who's going to be the greatest. You gotta have that town mentality, that servant. The sons of thunder wanted the best seat in the house. They tell me that John was sitting on the right and Judas on the left. That's right, Judas on the left. You say, Well, I want the high chair. That's reserved for babies. 
Jesus says, take the back seat, then wait for someone to ask you to move up the road. Serve them. Their feet stink. Serve them. Some of them may have walked through camel dung to get there. I'm not exaggerating, folks. You know that. You can't over-exaggerate the Gospel. Serve them. But they betrayed me. Serve them anyway. Serve them knowing that one will deny you sooner or later. Serve them anyway. Jesus said, just give me the towel. Give me the towel. All of them would leave him that night. John would get close. We know that. But Peter would deny him. Now, we under, you need to understand Peter's denial here. It wasn't just no slipshod of the tongue. Okay? Peter, the Bible says the last time he swore. Means this, while Jesus was being accused, while Jesus was in the court of law, if Peter would have been asked to be a witness, Peter would have said, I do not know him. In other words, Peter was unwilling to take the witness stand on behalf of his Savior. And that is why, do you understand, is it? Peter thought that the last thing that he had in his life relationship from with his Master was because he... You want to, he didn't know. He couldn't get the idea that Jesus was going to come out from that grave. Peter thought that the last thing that he did was deny his Lord in this life. And the last thing that Peter saw was the look on the Master's face as he turned around. And he looked at him. Peter thought, oh my goodness. That's the last time, I, last time I've ever going to see him and I, I have denied him. Their feet stink. Wash them anyway. I don't like Judah sitting next to me. Wash them anyway. But he, did, he betrayed... He conspired and so wash him anyway. Right. And he took the cup of redemption. He says, let me introduce a new covenant. More or less, here's, I like to put it like this, the days of drinking wine are done here on earth. He's saving the best for last. He said, I won't drink again until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's getting close now. And John 14, He tells His disciples, He's told them that He's going. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. 
My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go I to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Gethsemane, the pathway to victory. And until you experience the Gethsemane, nobody can experience the one like he did. Understand. But until you experience a type of Gethsemane in your life, you'll never understand what weight, what burden, what load feels like. And once you experience that, then you'll get a little bit of an understanding of the weight that he carried. Pilate tried to release him. I believe it was actually six different times Pilate tried to release him. They would have no part of it. Can I tell you today, there is no neutrality in this thing. There may be some here this morning, you may think that you can just wash your hands and take a neutral stand. There is no neutral stand. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. That's the way it is. Everybody will leave Him. He didn't go to that cross defeated. He went to that cross as a champion. He went to that cross as a champion. They already said, give us Barabbas. You see, the world releases the Barabbases into this world. Satan, the evil one. But God released His Son into the world. We know the story. And they've already mentioned it. Forgive them. Forgive them. How many got nail prints in your hands? How many got the scars of the cattails? The whip on your back. How many of you got the scar? How many of you got the scar with the spear on your side? Forgive them. Forgive them. That is the pathway to victory, folks. If it were not so, he would not have left us as one of the hallmarks of his very last breath that he took. He said, forgive them. And then he said, it's finished. I like what, how many of you got the text from Brother Hall today? <laughs> I like it. Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it's finished. He was just beginning. You see, it didn't even start. The thing that he always dreamed about, it didn't start until it finally came down to that last gasp. 
And he says, it is finished. Who has believed our report? The writer said, He has no form or comeliness. When we see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised, rejected by men, men of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. But oh, listen carefully, but He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him by His stripes. We are, he didn't... He wasn't defeated when He took the stripes on His back. He was claiming victory for the healing of your soul, your body, your mental, your emotional, whatever. He was paying the price. He was going out a champion. Three days later, he comes out of the grave with a few saints tagging along. Same day, he shows himself alive to the apostles. And here, listen to this very carefully. When he said, he, he says, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me. On this mission, he says, listen carefully, even so I send you. What? And when he said this, he breathed on them. He says, receive you the Holy Ghost. We know the story showed himself alive. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. He says, when you you're going to receive power after that, the Holy you see, the world released Barabbas. God released Jesus into the world. Jesus released the Holy Ghost on the day the church was born. Oh yeah. He released that same power that God had given Him that beyond without measure... He released that power unto the church. But listen carefully. The Holy Ghost released the church on the day of Pentecost. And the church releases the Gospel that will transform your life. It's the church that's got the message. The message is the blood atonement for the remission of sins. The message is the Holy Ghost in you. The power to overcome the messages we got the word that has been magnified above his name we got the whole story the message that the church releases is i got his name that has been called out when i went under the water in baptism i have the name of jesus as part of my royal name and i've got a promise it says, 
I will come again and receive you unto myself. And until then, as you stand with us, there's victory in the house. There is victory that is meant to be in your life because He paved the way. He made that He made that road available for you and I. Remember his last visit to the house of God. He cleaned it out twice. Oh God. He cleaned it in the beginning of his ministry. He had to clean it out again the second time at the end of his ministry. And he says that it is a house of prayer. It's a place of worship. It is a place where the souls of men ought to be able to come into my presence and be assured that this life, they can have it living abundantly, but there is an eternity that awaits them. That's why we're here today, folks. We are here because He steadfastly looked that road in the eyeball. And to some, you know, if we're not careful, we look at it and we, we think, well, when He allowed people to do that, he, he, you know, he was a defeatist. He let them do all these things. No, no, no. He was a champion because everything that they did to Him, it was for the benefit of of the church this morning. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity this morning. I know it's that we all have things to do today, but I want you, please just remember, and I'm not going to hold you if you, if you need to go, but listen to me. If, if, there, if the Lord is tugging at your soul, if you feel the unction of the Holy Ghost that is saying, sir or ma'am, this is your time. This is your day. I want you to know that it will be much more important than you partaking of the candy shower. It will be more important than you making the dinner on time because it is the eternal weight of a soul that matters to Jesus Christ. And He wants you to know that the price that He paid was dear, but to Him it was was worth all of it. I challenge you to read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57. And Cliff, you can put it up there, but we're going to call you to the front if you'd like to spend just a couple of minutes and seek the Lord here this morning. And, and uh, you know, it really it, it, it comes down to just... Uh, such a simple matter. Imagine the whole plan of God being, uh, you know, being formed and and being fulfilled in, in just a matter of days and, and really just a matter of hours. It, he did that because He knew that even today there was going to be people that were going to have to understand that He does love you enough that He would stay on the cross of Calvary and He would go there in your stead. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. 
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump for the trumpet shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death, the sin, the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great day coming, folks. There's a great day coming. Brother Brian sings, if you're here this morning, if you have a special need, doesn't matter what it is, if you need a healing in your body, if you need deliverance, if you need to repent of your sins, if you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, if you've never experienced the Holy Ghost in filling, today is your day. Easter is no better time, folks. Oh, Jesus is coming. He's coming. One thing about it, we could get out of this story. Time is short. Lord looked at that and He said, whoa. He says, it's fixing to... Wow, it's like... It's coming to pass real quick here. Jesus is coming. Quicker than you anticipate Him coming. I want to be ready. This is our opportunity. Would you lift your hearts to the Lord? If you need special prayer, if you need special prayer, would you come right down here to the front? Anybody that needs special prayer, you come right down here to the front and we will pray with you and for you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When Thank you, Jesus. Falls, it oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. Thank you. Oh, my God will never fail. Oh, my God. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. God, I serve, knows only how to triumph. Yes, my God. I'm gonna see